Alright, I didn't record that, because that's low-key creepy. I've, I've started recording. Um, um, first of all, before we get into uh, the message for today, I just wanted to say how much I love this um, group of people. How amazing every single person here is. Um, it's funny, like, sometimes you don't see everyone um, for a while, or you don't see them every week, but when you do see them, your heart is just reminded, it's almost like a trigger of like, that's why I love that person. It's so good to see you again. And I think there's something so special about us meeting together regularly, just to, um, just to spend an hour and a half on a Sunday, just to almost trigger that, um, that memory, that thought that, hey, this is why I meet with people other than just my small circle or the circle that I do have. Because um, there's so many stories, so many people here, um, so, many, so much value that we can glean from each other. So I, I'm just so staked to be um, meeting with you today. My parents, let's say a quick prayer for my parents. They're currently running the, the city to surf. And when I say running the city to surf, I say the 65-year-old run. They are walking the city to surf. And then my mum found out yesterday, we're going to delete this from the podcast, my mum found out yesterday that there are lots of hills in the city to surf, so she'll get, be getting pushed up. <laughs> this is to say, bless you, mum, and have a good run today. Uh, but she, she actually um, uh, was doing it through the place that she works, called Shalom House. They're raising money for uh, an organisation called uh, White Ribbon, and it's, uh, to do, that's to do with supporting people, uh, women who have gone through domestic violence. And um, so that's a, an, an amazing uh, thing for them to be doing. So I just think that's, a, that's a great. Um... First, uh, one thing, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to Nisha. Um, I just want to honour you in front of everyone here. You know, so I don't know, I don't know if everyone knows Nisha, but she's one of those people. Um, I call her the heart and soul of, of Freedom City. She's one of those people that just um, says uh, yes, I will help out, and, but she also says no when it's a stupid idea. But she's one of those people that. Um, you know, she's been with us from the, the, the beginning of the journey. She's someone that who's, who's so willing just to get up and, and fill the space and uh, get alongside people and walk with people. Um, it's not about flashing lights and bells and smells. It's about salt of the earth. Just, you are an amazing person. So can we just give Nisha a round of applause? We just, we love you. We value you. And honest truth, we probably wouldn't be doing this church if, if you weren't here. Yeah, that's for everyone here. All right. Romans. We're just going to continue to roam through Romans. Yeah. Romans. <laughs> Romans with my Bromans. Uh, and, <laughs> so Romans is a fantastic book in the Bible. It's a book that um, we've been going through. And if we go to this next slide just over. It's a book that we've been going through uh, uh, section by section, and the reason we're going through it section by section is because if you, if you try and read the whole thing at one time, we're going to be here for the whole time just reading it, and we probably won't get through it, and it'll be quite boring, because I'm just going to be reading that you, and that's all. Um, so what we're doing is we're going through chunk by chunk. You know, like um, you go through a degustation, or you go into a, a, a three, four course meal, um, you, you go through bit by bit and you have different elements and you, you understand it section by section. And that's what we're doing with Romans. We're going through bit by bit, trying to understand part at a time. But what you have to understand is that it's all part of the same thing. And so Romans is a letter that was written by a man 
a man, a man named Paul. Hey, by the way, how good is it at having um, three musicians on stage? Yeah. That's like three times what we had last week. <laughs> how amazing is that? Um, Romans is a, is a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. And when I say the church in Rome, I don't mean just one church. I mean, there's a collection of churches that are found in the city of Rome. And so what he's done is written a letter that would circulate amongst the churches that they would read out to the churches uh, so people would hear what Paul is writing. And um, the reason Paul is writing to Romans and why it has authority is because Paul is an authoritative man. He's actually one of the people uh, that there's a, uh, there's a group of guys called the 12 Disciples who... Um, Followed Jesus around and learned from him, gleaned from him. And one of them actually, um, his name's Jesus Iscariot, took his own life. And so what they ended up uh, doing was they had uh, basically chose one person to come in and take that, that position as a 12th uh, disciple, and that was Paul. And so Paul has come in, and he's, um, his, his goal is basically to share the love of Jesus with the world, the truth of the gospel with the world. And so what he's done is he's gone and he's, he's going around to like Myri and Balga and Armadale and he's even gone to Cheeky Kenwick, you know. He's, he's, he's gone and he's, he's sharing the truth of the gospel with these different places. Um, but then he decides, I'm going to go a bit exotic and go to Spain. I'm going to go to Rome. And so he's, what this part here, this letter is, is basically he wants to go to Rome to connect with them because they're an epicenter, but to see them as a... Uh, to see them as almost like a base uh, where he could go and travel out from there to different parts of Europe and then come back and be based in Rome. And so what he's doing is he's writing this letter and this letter he's written is actually um, a, an introductory letter because he's never actually met the people in Rome before. He's never met the churches in Rome. So the, the language is quite intellectual. It's not your typical letter. Um, I, I've, I've said this before. When you write a letter or a Facebook post or a, an email nowadays, you say, hey, it's great to see you. Hope you're well. I don't know what your tagline is. What's your tagline on, um, on an email? Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks. Um, some people say kind regards. God bless. I have a more um, forward. It's not passive aggressive, but it's a more, um, I look forward to hearing from you soon. So basically saying, basically saying, you need to talk to me back soon. Anyway, it's not passive aggressive, it's authoritative. But it's, um, so he's basically come to them and he's, he's introducing himself, himself to them, but it's not in the typical um, letter way. It's not typical, hey, hey kids, what do you have for dinner? It's a, it's a different way. And so what we've done is we've gone through bit by bit and we've, we've read um, from God reveals uh, this section here verses 1 to 4, and we 1 to 117, 1 to 1832, and I'm, I'm changing it up a little bit here, because what we're going to be doing today is we're, we went from uh, 2, 1, 1 to 6, uh, 2 verses 1 to 16 last week. What I'm going to be doing this week is I'm going to be taking a good chunk out of it, and we're going to be going from Romans 2 verses 17 to 3 verses 20. And so... Like I said, we have to be reminded that this is a letter. We're, we're reading only part of it, so there's a greater context to it. So um, everything in this letter depends on the other parts of the letter to make sense. So make sure that you um, either rock up at another time and listen or you check out our podcast online because it will make more sense. Everyone with me? Yeah. Sweet. What we're doing is we're reading from Romans 
2.17 to 3.20, and I'm going to read from um, ESV. We'll put it up, chuck it up on the screen. We're going to take a drink. I'm going to read kind of faster, and I'll break it down. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and prove what is excellent because you are struck from the law, and if you are sure that you will yourself go clock, <laughs> well, just go with it. Guide to the blind light, to those who are in darkness, and instruct them in fools to teach of children having in the law and the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that you one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the Lord dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed, we'll get to that and it'll make sense, is as of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, he will not, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps law will condemn you who have the written code of the circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. By his praise is not from man, but from God. Next slide. Did you remember every single part of that? Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, though you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my, my life God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why do not the evil that God, uh, why do not do evil that God may come? Good may come. As some people will slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. And last one, what then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood in the past are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Whew. So, I don't know if you um, took everything in there, because it's extremely meaty. Um, you can go, let's go back to the first slide, please, Sam. Um, you could just, uh, the first verse slide, beautiful. You could literally just go to the first verse and then try and understand what it's all about, the, the audience that it was written to, when it was written, why it was written, the language that was used. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to go through it and I'm going to uh, address some of these things in here and break it down a little bit more. But there's a lot to this, and the only way that we're ever going to fully understand the depth of this book is if we ourselves go out from this place and do further study. So let's jump into it, though, and we'll break it down bit by bit. 
We're going to talk about verses 17 to 20 first of all. In this section, Paul is specifically addressing the Jews in the Roman church. We can tell this quite easily because he says, Jews, law, Jews, law. That's very um, circumcision. That's very Jewish language. It's, very, it's part of their, their practice. So what Paul is doing in this book, this book, Romans, is written to not just one group of people. Even though this section says it's written to the Jews, it's actually written to a context, a situation where the Jews and the Gentiles are at division with each other in the, in the city of Rome. Gentiles is anyone who is not a Jew, basically. And so what he's doing is he's writing to say, all right, let's come together. Let's try and understand that the gospel goes above Jew and Gentile, male or female. That the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, is not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all people. So he's bringing them together, bringing them on the same level. So if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the Lord and boast in God, and know his will and prove what is excellent, but you're obstructed from the law. And if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So what is happening here in this first section, 17 to 20, if we look at it, we have to understand that the language that he is using is something almost hyperbole, almost sarcastic to a point, on the verge of sarcastic, but not there. Almost trying to make a point by the way that he's saying things, because I could almost imagine him saying that if you call yourself a guide to the blind, or if you call yourself a light to those who are in darkness, there's a bit of sass, there's just a tiny bit of sass in there. You know, what he's saying to these people is what's happening is the Gentiles became Christian. The Gentiles became Christian through the gospel. The Jewish people were always included in that part of, of the narrative. They were almost they were God's chosen people, but they, they're stuffed up. So what God's saying is like, all right, the Jew and the Gentile are now in the same narrative. The difference is a Gentile didn't grow up studying the law, studying the Bible effectively. A Gentile didn't grow up studying these things. They were actually quite unlearned in the ways of God. So you look at a Jewish person, by the age of 12, a, a young Jewish a male is supposed to know something called the Pentateuch off by heart. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So they have to know that off by heart. I don't know about you, but I struggle to rap Gangster's Paradise off by heart. Meg sings Gangster's Paradise, she raps it, and I do the singing part. Because that's what I know. So I don't know about you, trying to then... <laughs> it's just the way we rock. But they're trying to understand like five books of the Bible off by heart. And these aren't, these aren't um, small books. The book called Numbers is literally giving you numbers. It's telling you there were this many threads in the thread count of the robe of God or the, the curtain of the temple. I don't know about you, but my memory is not that good. So then imagine, that's 12 years old, you get a bit older, you're 30. Imagine how learned you are in the Bible, and the law, and the commandment, the Torah, as it was called. Um, and then, so what then happens is the, the Jewish people are chilling in this church, all wisdom and arguing with each other about, you know, there are this many threads, you know, and 
then all of a sudden what happens is you get an influx of people who grew up with none of this understanding. They knew nothing about the Bible. And so what's happening is then Paul's saying to the situation, to the Jewish people, basically what's happening is the Gentiles wanted the Jews to teach them about God, about the Bible. But the Jewish Christians were pleased to teach, but they weren't, weren't actually that sincere in heart, unfortunately. You know, if we then go on to verse 21 to 23, it says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? These are all rhetoric questions, all questions that are almost pointed. It's like, well, of course you do. You who boast of the Lord dishonor God by breaking the law. The problem was the Jewish people in the church were like, yeah, we're happy to teach the Gentiles about the Bible, about the law of God. But do you know what they did? Instead of saying, hey, come alongside me, come to my house, let's break some bread, you know, we'll hang our sandals out to dry, you know, we'll um, kill a fatted calf together or whatnot, you know, what they did was they said, hey, um, it's going to be $25 an hour. I'll teach you about the Bible, but hey, it's going to cost this much, and can you please send it to me via BPay? It's, it's, they've basically come and Paul's saying this, not just in the Roman church, but in all the churches, because there's this Jewish supremacy. And we have to understand, that's the way it was. It just, that's the way it was. They knew the law, they knew the Bible, but there was a supremacy that said, okay, you want to learn, I'm going to teach you, but you're going to pay me. And so it says, you who teach against stealing, do you not steal? And so within this, the Jewish people are like, so before we, we feel like we're just beating up on the Jewish people here, this is literally, this is a section where we are beating up on the Jewish people. So it is, but later on, it's, it's nice. Um, so he's, he's saying that, uh, you want to teach about me, yet you don't know me because I gave my life for free. I gave my life on the cross for free. Yet you then say, all right, you want to hear about this? I will then charge you to learn about the Bible. I don't know how it sits with you, but it doesn't sit well with me. And that didn't sit well with Paul. Because Paul, Paul is saying that it's like, even though you might not be guilty of these deeds, you might not be guilty of these things about robbing temples and abhorring idols, um, your heart attitude is wrong. Even though your, your actions might be the physical acts might not be there. Your heart attitude is wrong. Why are you in the church? Why do you obey me? Why do you un listen to the law? Why do you do these things? So what's happening? Paul is coming and saying to them, it's like, well, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're saying that you love me. You're saying that you love the, the, the word of God. You're saying that um, we want people to know about God, yet you are putting a barrier between someone and God. I don't know about you, but I believe in the gospel to the point where I want to remove as many barriers as possible. I believe that it's that powerful that I shouldn't get in the way. That's why for us, we aim to do as much as we can here for free for people. We're going to be running a, um, a debt management and a debt management and uh, budget creation course for free for people so they can know the goodness of people. 
to them that they cared about. You know, I think there's something, I think there's something quite pertinent and pointed in here that if we look at ourselves and then say, all right, how easy am I making it for someone to know God through my life? What barriers am I putting in the way that says, all right, actually, I don't, I don't feel like I can come through, so maybe I'll just go to someone else. Yeah, you know, I I want to be a walking a walking sign that's just pointing to the heavens. Yeah, you know, that God is good. Yeah. I don't I'm not good, God is good. Whatever you are or whoever you are in your life, there's redemption, restoration, reconciliation available for you through the cross. Yeah. You know, it then goes on into verse 24 and it says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You know, in, earlier in the Bible, God said that the nations had insulted him. The nations had insulted him. In the Old Testament, they insulted him. Um, the enemies had defeated the Jews, so the nations wondered whether God had any power to protect his people. But these terrible things happened because God's people were not obeying God. You know, Sometimes what we have to look at is that um, people are going to get a bad picture of God if we don't reflect God well. There's a difference why Jesus is not on earth anymore, yet the Holy Spirit is. And we, we believe that the Holy Spirit is unseen. We can't see the Holy Spirit. We can see the movement of the Holy Spirit through people. But we can't see the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why there's not a person here, but there's an unseen person. It's because God chose us to be his representatives. God created us to be the people that reflect God to the world around us. The reason the Holy Spirit is not seen is because the reflection of God is seen in us. So if you look at how am I showing people God... Does my life, do my actions, do they reflect who God is? Walk away and say, maybe, maybe in this area. You know, I love people on a Sunday, but on a Monday, you better not merge in front of me. Yeah, it's like, we have to look at the way, how sincere is our heart? Because Paul was seen in insincerity within the Jewish leaders and teachers in the church. We should know the love and the way of God more than anyone else because we are the ones who study it. We are the ones who read it and sing about it. You know, for me, I literally am doing a bachelor degree in it. I shouldn't reflect it better than you. I'm not saying I'm better, but I've, I've done study. I should reflect it better. I know some Greek. I should reflect it better. I don't know if I do. There are some amazing people out there. and that's a, yeah. We're the church. We should be the ones who uphold the ways of God. But how often do we see more of God in others? Yeah, side story. I went on, um, I went on Freer Massive, the, the Facebook page. And I tell you, Freer Massive is funny. It's so good because it's like, it's just such a, an amazing community of people. You know, and even though I might not share the same experiences, worldview, or uh, opinions as some people, 
on, um, on Fear and Massive. I tell you, they love people. They love people, not all people. Tobin's laughing. <laughs> not all people, but there's, there's a lot more love that I see on Freo Massive than sometimes I see in churches. There's some hate as well, you know, but, but the love for the environment as well. That's something I see in Freo Massive and dogs. I see that on Freo Massive, which is quite convicting. We should, we should be the ones leading that way. But then we go on in verse 25. It says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Literally back in the day, a sign of a covenant relationship, a sign of I'm for you, you are for me relationship was through the physical act of circumcision for males. You know, it's like the physical act of actually saying that I am set apart. So if someone was to find your body um, when you're dead, let's just say, um, they would know that this person was a a worshipper of God. Um, It it showed the covenant between God and his nations, but also then that, that circumcision then actually created almost like a responsibility upon the Jewish people that says that you must obey the laws. And if we go into the understanding of the law, the law was actually before, um, there's a story called um, uh, with Exodus where Moses brings the Israelites, uh, God's people, the Jewish people, out of the, the, the city of um, Egypt, country. Um, during this, there's a 40 year period where they're walking around in the desert. And they're saying, God, we need some laws, <laughs> effectively. We don't know how to live. Teach, give us ways that we can live a, a holy life. So the law was actually created by God, almost on the behalf of the people who kept asking for it. Before that period, God didn't just say, hey, here's laws, bam. You have to do this, this, and this, and this. You can't watch this. Game of Thrones is of the devil. You can't do all these sort of things. Second week in a row, I've talked about Game of Thrones. The law was actually something that God put in place for people who didn't know how to live their lives in discipline. He said, I need some help. I need boundaries. So... Part of the law and part of that was circumcision because it set you apart. Um, What was happening was the Jewish people who received this commandment from God then started going to the Gentiles and saying, hey, you need to get circumcised as well. How weird would it be as a church if we just started walking out in the streets and saying, yo, you need to get circumcised. Welcome to church for the first time. How weird would that be? Yeah, I think it's something that we, we have to understand that it was quite different. The way that the Jewish people and the Gentile people grew up was quite different. Welcome to church. So this was actually the opposite of the real Christian message. The Bible says that we must trust Christ alone. 
the laws and the traditions of the, the Bible, those are things that we can't put our trust in. Everything's going to be alright, guys. It's alright. So we're going to go to verse 26 to 27. So it says, So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Just, just straight up, no one is ever going to have a good relationship with God by law. You're not going to have a good relationship by law, by acts, physical acts, by taking on this physical circumcision. All right, let's all just bring it back in. We'll all just bring it back in. No one is ever going to have a good relationship with God but through your own acts or your own almost, um, way of trying to show honour to God. The only way that we will ever, ever receive freedom from the from the, the law or receive freedom from sin is basically by knowing God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we'll ever know. And circumcision, people, they can, they can try and serve God as loyally as possible. They can follow these things, but it's like, it's a heart attitude. It's not about a doing attitude. It's a heart attitude. Where is your heart? And this was actually goes into verse 28 to 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. A circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Circumcision is not something physical in this sense then. It's a spiritual, physical heart thing. It meant to basically have a pure and sincere heart. I want to have a pure and sincere heart. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but we can struggle with that. But that's where we then say, all right, I want to have a pure, sincere heart towards God, towards people. The only way we can then do that is to have the Holy Spirit do that within our lives. It's not an actions thing. It's not, I will, I will do this or pray this or say this or practice this. It's literally, God, I need you to give me a pure, sincere heart. Holy Spirit, I need you to come in. And that's what Paul is saying here is that the circumcision of, that we're talking about was one that was outwardly, but now through Jesus is something that is fit, it was, is inwardly and it's a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. So what we're doing is we're basically we're saying that if you want to put it into layman's term, anyone, a real Jew or a Jewish person, is anyone who obeys God or has God come into their heart. The difference is, though, we're not all Jewish lineage. We are, are I think there's hardly anyone, if anyone, who has Jewish lineage here. We're, we're Gentiles, effectively, according to the Bible, people who are not Jewish. So we don't need to do the physical act. We just need to have God do the work within our lives. So what Paul is doing is he's highlighting to the Jewish readers of this letter in the same vein of, like I was saying, unifying the two people groups, Jew and Gentile, that just because you know the law and you're of Jewish heritage, it does not mean that you are right with God. It just means that you know the law and that you are of Jewish heritage. Yeah. Jesus changed the goalposts. He moved them. And it's the same thing. Just because you go to church, it does not make you right with God. Only the cross 
makes you right with God. Therefore, by removing this bragging right from the Jews over the Gentiles, the goalposts are moved in this letter, but also telling the Jews that things have changed. It's not about how well they kept the law, but about their hearts. Was their heart for God? Was it hard to hear and obey? You know in the Old Testament, the word obedience, so often what we do is we look at obedience and see it as almost like an oppressive word. But the, um, the Old Testament, the word obedience actually meant to hear and obey God because of awe and wonder. The fact that God was speaking to you. Boom. I don't know if you've ever heard God's voice, but we can't get familiar with that. The fact that God speaks to you and says, I have a plan for your life. In your darkest times, that he says, I will lead you through this. I don't know if you've ever heard from God, but there needs to be, we, we've lost the element of awe and wonder to that. And obedience comes when there is awe and wonder. All right, moving on to chapter three. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have a beautiful heart. Say it louder. All right, let's move on. Chapter 3. So it then says, what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Paul is basically, this is rhetoric, he's basically saying, all right, it's, um, you're probably going to disagree with me, Jewish person. What value is there? It's almost like fighting words here. And it goes on into verse 2. Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So Paul here was actually a Jewish person. So he understood that the Jewish people originally were entrusted with a message of of God. That um, in Deuteronomy, like I was saying, that in the the Pentateuch, they actually had to remember and memorize Deuteronomy. So the Jewish people were entrusted with that. Um, So God wanted to use the Jewish people in order to benefit the whole world. But then it goes on into verse 3. It says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? So some Jewish people drop the ball. Hands up who's ever dropped the ball. You've been in a moral situation. You've been in a situation where it's like, all right, make sure that you get this done. Make sure that you don't do this. Make sure that you don't eat Fruit Loop three nights in a row row while your wife's in Sydney and you're by yourself. I dropped the ball. We all dropped the ball. So what he's saying here is that the Jews dropped the ball. They were unfaithful. They, God said these are the laws and the commandments. And then the Jewish people were like, sweet, we want this. And then they didn't. <laughs> they couldn't. They tried and they failed. The question is, just because you are unfaithful, and when I mean faithful, just because you don't, do or follow God perfectly that you don't stuff up doesn't mean that then God's up in heaven or wherever you believe he is that God's chilling just saying ah they're stuffed up this whole plan's over we should probably start the world again no the faithfulness of God is way way stronger than your faithfulness even in your unfaithfulness even in your unbelief and your misunderstanding God is still good He's still above it all. So by no means, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. God emphasized that 
Uh, Paul emphasized that God's promises are certain. God's words are always true. Even if people make up falsities, lie, deceive, God is still true. Paul refers to uh, two books in Psalms. It says, Psalm 116, 11, it says, All men tell lies. And in Psalm 51, 4, David became aware of his sin, so he prayed to God, You are right when you speak. You're right when you judge. Who here has ever told a lie before? Anyone who doesn't put their hand up potentially telling a lie? Probably. We all do at some points. Man, I let a white lie turn into a black lie, whatever you want to call it. Like I turn a white lie turn into a big lie. I let it turn, roll and develop. I did it for years. Man, I convinced people that I did some crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, God does not lie. God does not lie. When God says that he loves you, that's not a lie. When God says he has a plan for your life, that is not a lie. When God says you are forgiven, that is not a lie. We just have to... Sometimes we just have to let our heart catch up with our head and just say, I'm going to believe it and one day I'm going to meet it. Because sometimes it's hard. It is. But it says in verse 5 to 6, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. Parentheses. By no means, for then how could God judge? How could judge? God judge the world. You know, if people did not sin, they might not appreciate God's goodness. This is what people were teaching. We need sin to appreciate the goodness of God. You know, this, see, this seems like an, a clever idea, but it's wrong. You know, they're basically saying, kind of bringing God down to a level that says that, well, without sin, God doesn't make sense. Like his grace, we don't need it without sin. So if sin's good, we can death. Therefore, go and sin. We're taking God from a level like of here, of unreachable, unattainable, down to here, saying that, well, he, his existence depends on my fallibility. And that's wrong. That is a lie. And this is what was being taught by the, uh, the Jewish teachers. But, verse 78, but if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why do you, why not? Why not do evil that good may come, as some may charge, slanderously charge us with saying their con- condemnation is just? You know, like I was saying before, people are saying that like lies show how truthful God is. Like we're we're, we're judging God against us. We're the we're the non-negotiable. We're the immovable, and God's the variable. It's the other way around. We can't make God to be uh, the movable because he's not. We can't judge God against us and say that, well, I can sin because he's good. Because he's good when we haven't faced the penalty of sin. All right. We're just going to finish up here. Verses 9 to 20. What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we all have charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. 
Yes, Jewish people grew up with the knowledge of the Word of God. They grew up with the Law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, all these things. But all people need God. You know, un- all people came under the power of sin, under sin. Sin was like a master who had c- complete control over his slave. Everybody, both Jews and Gentiles, is like a slave because of the power of sin. And it says in verses 10 to 12, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Sin, no one is good. No one was even trying to discover what God is like. Nobody cared about what God wants. Everyone turned away from him. And it talks about idolatry earlier on in Romans. They created images of God into human form. Or they, they started making uh, idols. And they started worshipping a, a, a calf. Instead of worshipping God. And it says in verses 13 to 14. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths, mouth is full of curses and bitterness. You know, these are basically describing the sins of speech. You know, how we use our words, like poison. You know, I don't know about you, but words can destroy other people. Who's ever had a situation where they're, they're driving along or they're looking in the mirror, and then all of a sudden something someone said to you comes back to haunt you? Someone said you weren't good enough, or you have this belief in your head that I'm not good enough, that I'll never amount to anything. We all have the power to create and just destroy through our tongue. And this is what it's saying here, that the people use it for bad. And verses 15 to 17, their feet are swift to shed blood in the past, in the past are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. And it goes on to verses 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, the, the fear of God, like, when we talk about fear, we talk about like, ah, fear, ah. You know, we kind of get to this place where we think God is um, fear-inducing. Like fear actually here aligns with and talks about the fear of being without God. What would life be like without his basically holding the floodgates of, of wrath and judgment because of sin back? What would life be without that? The fear of God is to recognize how amazing he is, how holy he is, and how much he's actually protected us from the consequences of sin. So I'm not talking about, boom, fear of God. I'm talking about fear of God is like, I don't know what I'll do without God in my life. I need to have that understanding that God is so good. God is so healing. He is so um, forgiving. That fear, like, all right. I can't live life without you. And then verses 19 to 20. Now we are, know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So through the law comes knowledge of sin. You know, some Jews would think that these verses were only about the Gentiles because the Gentiles didn't have the law. But Paul explains that the law cannot, cannot make people righteous, that it's, that was not its purpose. The purpose of the law is to show the meaning of sin to people. The law proves that everyone is guilty, so the Jews could not become righteous by the means of their Jewish ceremonies. 
And they had ceremonies for everything, circumcision, Sabbath, food laws, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. I'm holy because I don't do these things, or I do do these things. No one can become righteous by their own means of their own good works. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's what it says later on. And just to let you know that we've, been, we've taken a massive chunk out of 320. Um, it was really confronting stuff. But what we're coming into now is we're going to start learning more about who God is and what he did through the cross. And as I'll say, it's a lot more encouraging and less talk about Jews and circumcision. So it's good. But basically to say that God has come, or Jesus has come, to say that there's no longer a hierarchy, there's no longer a Jewish supremacy over Gentiles, there's no longer a church is better than the world mentality. We are all needing God. We all need Him. Can you close your eyes if you're comfortable?